Each new challenge also provides a new opportunity for us to reinvent the industry and reconsider ways in which we've done things in the past. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate each and every day. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today we sit down with Donna Clark, Senior Managing Director for Northern California and Nevada Region for Kennedy Wilson. In her role, Donna is responsible for the operations, leasing, business development, and asset management for more than 10 million square feet of office, industrial, and retail properties throughout Northern California and Nevada. Her team includes construction managers, property managers, accountants, and brokers. Donna is also the 2020 president of the NAOP Sacramento Valley Chapter. Welcome to the pod, Donna. Donna, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Vlad. I'm well, thank you. Excellent. Where do we find you today? Where are you? Uh, I'm in Sacramento right now. It's where I live. Excellent, excellent. And um, and obviously you are sort of up and down uh, the coast uh, most of the time, correct? Yes, I spend a lot of time in the Bay Area, work a lot out of my car, and um, you know our headquarters is down in Southern California. So I uh, pre-COVID, I was down there quite often. Are you experiencing less traffic these days on the highways, or how is that going? You know, it's interesting. There is still um, a, a lot of commute traffic, more than I would have expected. Ah, interesting. The economy of California keeps buzzing, no matter, Apparently. No matter the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Excellent. Well, Donna, uh, by way of introduction, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your background in the industry, how long you've been with, with the company? Certainly. So I've been in real estate pretty much since college. I, I took a short stint in the securities market working at Fidelity. I decided that wasn't for me and moved into, into real estate. I've worked for companies like the Samus Company and Coal Company, some private developers. Okay. But probably my longest stint was with a REIT called Pan Pacific Retail Properties. So I oversaw their West Coast retail portfolio, oversaw the brokerage and management of that for the REIT. And was this was this your precursor into, into Kennedy Wilson? It was. Yeah. And then uh, Pan Pacific was actually purchased by Kimco and okay. yep. there was duplication of efforts there in, in my role. And a few months later, I was hired on by Kennedy Wilson in 2006 and here I stay. Tell us a little bit about you know your your role there, kind of the focus of the organization, how that's evolved over the years, and you know overall sort of the you know where where does the company play, if you will, within the industry? Certainly. So when I joined the, the Kennedy Wilson Property Services Group, I was responsible for overseeing their management operations in Northern California. Um, they were primarily focused on property management and accounting, and then in 2010. Ed Saxe of Saxe Real Estate um, joined Kennedy Wilson and brought along uh, his brokerage team. And all of a sudden, we had this robust brokerage down in Southern California, primarily retail. 
and it's now evolved to include um, other disciplines. We have a very okay. strong corporate office team down there. And seeing the collaboration down there between management and brokerage, um, I kind of implemented some brokerage uh, up here and hired two top-performing industrial brokers, Eric and John, that's now on our team. Great. Yeah, and then in December, I met – I've been – talking to a gentleman named Bruce Colson and I was lucky enough to entice him to come over to Kennedy Wilson to help me to continue to, de- to develop the brokerage platform. And uh, so, so he hired, he brought, was brought on in December and then, you know, COVID hit in, uh, you know, in February, March, and he was still successful in uh, recruiting five brokers. So we've added an additional five brokers to our team just in 2020. We're actually building a uh, multidiscipline strategic real estate team, which would include a capital markets, multifamily, retail brokers, office, and industrial. And this all falls under under your sort of sphere of influence, if you will. Correct for Northern California. Excellent, excellent, great. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, so you mentioned you joined the company back in two thousand and six. Uh, everything looked really great back then, right? Then oh eight and oh nine came, and things kind of <laughs> went a little bit upside down. Um, but I think in the last decade, sort of since then, kind of in between the last recession and kind of this this uh, turn of the cycle, it was quite a boom, I would I would say. Tell us a little bit about kind of how the industry evolved and sort of what were some of the trends sort of pre-COVID, you know, in terms of where where things were in the Bay Area, but also but also across California. Well certainly I, you know I think the the industry overall was was almost on autopilot. You know, we had a great run. We were leasing buildings, we were selling properties, you know, transformation of downtown, for example, downtown Sacramento. And then post-COVID we kind of were all stopped in our, our tracks and we had to yeah. really, you know, had to reevaluate how we were going to, you know, help these clients and customers. And and what were what were some of the efforts then then kind of how did you guys regroup and figure out where to focus your efforts? Well, this past year, you know, it's been just kind of a learning experience. Yeah. Some trends that we're seeing, of course, you know, e-commerce has really, you know, reshaped the entire industrial real estate industry. You know, this demand for for staples has kind of caused this implementation of a kind of an efficient last mile distribution strategy. Yeah. And then, you know, from that you see this this flood of capital going into the industrial urban areas. And we saw even I would argue prior to prior to COVID there was kind of a kind of a confluence between sort of retail and industrial. Because I think e-commerce was growing as a as a segment or or as a category overall, right? So we saw that 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 happening, but it's really been accelerated, I would argue, right? Since sort of the onslaught of of the pandemic, would you would you agree with that? Ab- absolutely, yeah. And so, what what are you seeing uh, in terms of you know what purpose then does then the physical space of a retail store serve? I mean, for a supermarket, it's obvious, but for some of the other ones, maybe maybe less so. Uh, are is are there areas that you know you guys are helping companies figure out what to what to do and how to transition into a new normal? We are, um, you know, sp- specifically in the retail arena. That's a changing landscape. I think um, many retailers were already, you know, planning to close before COVID, and I think COVID just really accelerated that for for many retailers. But we are, like, as I mentioned, we're putting together the strategic real estate team to go in and and service these broken shopping centers. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that you're not going to see, you know, a single 
retail broker on a, on a center anymore. It's going to be a collaboration. We're, uh, we're teaming up with a, another medical office team right now uh, to backfill these vacant big boxes in some of these centers. Tell us what you mean by that. You you won't see a single broker. So so how how did it work? You know prior and where is that trend going then? Well, I think in the past you would have you know your dedicated retail broker, maybe maybe two, one that would handle your big box space in a shopping center, yeah. and and another that would handle inline. But now, I mean, we have these centers that have excess parking, so the multifamily groups are looking at you know building around these um, shopping centers. You see yeah. uh, medical looking at um, going inline into some of these centers and offices collaborating next to retail. Yeah, You know, you have, you have cro- grocers, discount stores and electronics um, cohabitating with maybe an urgent care facility in a drugstore. Yeah. So, so your point was, you know, collaborating with other brokers to understand sort of the needs of those tenants, right, is kind of key at this point, right? Exactly. And, Bringing in a, a, in a team. And looking at the at the big picture makes sense. What's been curious for me during during this time is that retail is probably with hospitality probably the 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 two areas that have been you know hurt the most, if you will. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm still noticing some transactions. So you know, it seems like you know some retail centers seem to be doing okay. Which ones do you feel are you know kind of surviving, and what which ones are are having a really hard time? Well, certainly, I mean, of course the some of the big box, the the home improvement stores, you know, big look at big lots. Their their stock yeah. soared, I think, thirty percent. You know, auto related uh, industry, healthcare, and the discount store. You know, obviously the the big losers, unfortunately, were some of the apparel, some electronics, yeah. and you know, ultimately the tra- traditional shopping center. And the uh, suburban shopping center where you used to have like, a, you know, a Rite Aid next to a, you know, pet store next to a other kind of stuff. Like, is, is that doing well? Is it also geographic? So, you know, I would imagine probably more densely populated areas are probably hurting perhaps more than in the suburban side. Are you seeing that as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, but we are also seeing a lot of opportunities out there. Um, you know, tenants that are resilient and can adapt, they're taking advantage of, of moving from a B location and upgrading to an A location. This is sort of a good time to do that, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, some of these creative ideas, I think are going to stick around the the delivery and the, the takeout, outdoor dining, the ghost kitchen concept, yep. you know, food yep. halls, I, you know, those are the ones I think that are going to survive, the ones that can adapt. So you, you mentioned your advisory services group also. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of where, where you know, what, what you know, the work there is and kind of, you know, what are some of the, you know, typical types of projects you guys will undertake in that group? Yeah, on the retail, on the retail advisory side, we're working with uh, landlords, but primarily landlords to reposition their assets and, um, we may bring on an entitlement team or somebody that is more disciplined in, you know, help reposition these broken shopping centers. But we have a, a corporate services group as well uh, on the office side based out of L.A., Jeremy D. And he has clients d- throughout the nation. And it's interesting because, you know, I was talking to him last week about, you know, what he's seeing in the market. Yeah. 
And he says, you know, there's sort of, there's a paralysis, you know, on both the landlord and tenant side. Everybody's trying to predict what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the um, landlords are hoping this is going to go fast and (laughs) the tenants are saying it's not going fast, right? Exactly. And I I think there's, you know, real, there's a lot of hope in this vaccine that's going to get us back um, faster to, to, to the new normal. Yeah, but yeah. but but he is saying that there's still you know a need for space out there. It, it was interesting. He was saying that some tenants that he's working with had, had immediately called him and said, "Hey, you know, we need to uh, decrease our office space size. We need less footage." And then they took a moment and paused, and they said, "Well, actually, you know, we need more office space. We need to um, create social distancing." And right. Right. One specific client had 30,000 square feet of office space that they leased up, you know, right before COVID. And then they put 12,000 square feet of it on, you know, the submarket out for sublease. And later it was removed. And now they're spending quite a substantial amount of money with architects to retrofit these buildings. And you know, it's not just plexiglass on cubicles. It's it's much sure. more than that. Yeah, there's a there's going to be a new way of working, essentially, right? So they have to adapt for it all for all that, right? And exactly. Kind of get ready. Are you noticing any uh, kind of new players entering this space? I mean, you know, typically when um, you know there is a, a disruption in the market, sometimes there will be you know new folks coming in that will uh, maybe have been on the sidelines before or maybe not enter the space. You know, previously, is that is that happening, or is it pretty much still sort of the, the the same type of players that that you typically see when you're when you're working with some of these advisory folks? Well, on the retail side, I think we're we're seeing new people enter the market. I'm not sure if this is specifically what you're asking me, but I was reading uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal, and are you familiar with the game Fortnite? Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you, if you saw this, but but Fortnite just purchased a broken shopping center in I North that, in North yeah. Carolina. It was just interesting. Yes, yeah. yeah, they're going to use that for their headquarters. So 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 things like that are happening. You're you're saying right, but but it, but that's one sort of big example. And Fortnite is certainly uh, one big global player. Are you noticing other things like that also happening? Where there's some innovation in terms of you know, repurposing of, of the space kind of across the border? Is it still kind of a one-off at this point? No, I think we are. I think people are cautiously exploring, you know, other opportunities that are out there and, and, and are willing to enter the market. Donna, this, during this time, I mean, this has been obviously a very disruptive time. You know, the last year has been, you know, something that nobody probably saw other than maybe Bill Gates five, six years ago. (laughs) Um, What, what, did you see during this time that you know surprised you? Maybe both as a positive as a and also a negative uh, side of things. What surprised me was how how quickly many companies were able to adapt to this new normal. Um, our company, Kennedy Wilson, went re- worked remotely almost seamlessly overnight. Yeah, I mean we we had systems in place, and um, those that didn't were able to adapt quickly. I'm also surprised that you know, the number of deals that are still getting done. I mean, we have over 175 listings, and those those listings are active. I mean, we are we're showing space, we're leasing space. Th- those those are things that surprise me. And are some of these listings distress, or is it pretty much business as usual, but a little different, obviously? 
Well, you know, it depends on the landlord that we're representing. Sure. It, it is a little different. Um, we've yeah. had just on a on the on the flip side, on our managed properties, we have about 130 requests for rent relief going on right now in our portfolio. But I'm sure. le- yeah. lease lease terminations are happening. Landlords are working with some of these tenants, and um, there are people in line to backfill. Are you noticing that's actually very very interesting that 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 there is a backfill are are you noticing companies uh thinking about shorter leases? Do you think that will transform in the industry during this period? I do I think you're yeah definitely there some some clients you know where their leases were to exp- set to expire now and or in a few years, maybe they're considering accelerating changing their lease and maybe switching into a new kind of office space. Some are trying to enter the market with shorter term leases. Some are taking advantage of the lower rents and signing longer yeah. term leases. Interesting. Interesting. So it's it's just disrupted basically across the board. Exactly. Are there certain things that you know people are not talking about that they that you are noticing in the industry, but you think it's sort of very impactful and you know should be talked about more? Well, you know, one thing that, that that's a great question, uh, but something that I've been asking about is this co-working space. Yeah. And you know, what's that going to look like? Um, I was reading an article again in the Wall Street Journal the other day, 50% of the flexible office space or this co-working space is for lease. And then CBRE did a study where they asked office tenants, you know, what their future looked like. And they yeah. they pretty much all said that flexible office space and shorter term leases are going to play a role in their real estate strategy. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that across the board. I mean, I think there were a couple of CEOs recently that kind of came out and openly sort of stated this is the future of how they anticipate their office needs are going to be going forward, right? So that's uh, um, certainly and, – and but, but but that you think will be more impactful than, than people are perhaps even noticing. Is that a good assessment? Well, I do. I mean, I do because if you – if you look at these leases are short-term leases and, yeah, you know, yeah. those, cre- those create challenges, you know, both for, you know, financing options and for investors. So it's going to be interesting how that, how that shakes out. Are there any, um, you know, champions of, of change in the industry that are doing things now that you'd like to highlight that are, that are very interesting? Uh, another great question. I serve um, on the board of NAOP and the, the, actually the president of the Sacramento Valley NAOP chapter. Yep, and it's funny you ask this because I was I was thinking about this the other day. These organizations throughout the United States you have people there that are just working tirelessly for the small business owner and the developer and the property owner for for no pay. But these organizations are you know throughout the U.S. There's Crew, there's Acre, and I, I see these people now that are on the board, and we're talking you know even more, and we're working even harder right now. Um, on on how to navigate this new normal. So so you're you're saying the industry associations are kind of still very active, and and those would be the ones that you are you're highlighting as kind of the champions of of uh, you know change that will you know transform the industry going going forward, right? I think so. That well, they'll continue to. I think they've always been there, but I think um, you know, even now they will continue even to more more important at this point. Exactly. Yeah. 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 When you look out into you know the future, as 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 hard as that may be uh, <laughs> during this sort of you know fog of the pandemic, right? Um, what what do you see? What what do you think are going to be some trends that will that will emerge during this year and you know beyond? And how do you think they will impact the industry? 
Well, I mean, we could talk about education for one. You know, I think distance learning is is here to stay. Sure. Uh, colleges are looking or at least setting the stage right now to sell property. I think campuses are merging and consolidation is going to continue. Uh, I think the the workforce and student learning will be um, there'll be more flexibility. Yeah. There. Yeah. I talked about this with another colleague, and this this remote working um, and, it, and it kind of lends itself to higher education as well. It's going to allow you know maybe some more diversity. Uh, with students and employees and under underserved communities, um, in the tech industry, we're seeing this as well, where companies can you know people can work remotely now, and maybe yeah, they'll travel yeah. back to the mothership in in Silicon Valley as needed. But um, we can we can have satellite offices throughout the U.S., which will also create diversity in the workforce. Yeah, I that's that's exactly right. I think what. What we're hearing also is that the office will become more purposeful, right, rather than a place to go to do your daily work, like check email and get on the phone and that kind of stuff. You can essentially accomplish that from anywhere in the world This, this in this day and age, right? Exactly. The office might be more purposeful in a sense that there's a certain meeting or there's a certain event that's happening and, and you need to be there for, for that. One thing that you said that sort of uh, caught my ear that was that was interesting, this notion of uh, higher ed or uh, educational institutions selling real estate, is that is that happening both on the kind of uh, office side or if you will, the you know, lab space or housing, you know, wh- where, which assets do you think they're going to try to get, you know, rid of if they can? Well, you know, I'm not sure. I think that's what they're they're looking at evaluating right now. You know, if they can if they can consolidate campuses, then there will be excess real estate there. Mm-hmm. I think that many universities uh, expanded without the programs in place, and I think that will be reversed. I think they'll wait for placement of programs before they pull the plug on additional yeah. real estate. Donna, 2020 was really a challenging year for a lot of people, and um, it was very challenging for this industry also. When you look back at sort of everything that's that's happened, when you look back at sort of how people have adapted, like you said earlier, right, what gives you hope for, for the future? Well, I think that people are going to hold on to this new level of consciousness that we had in 2020. You know, if you think about it, we we slowed down our life. Family time came back. We're getting out of the house, exploring the outdoors. We cooked, and I think that by doing that, hopefully, it's sustainable, and we'll just kind of take the time to create a more thoughtful environment. Well, Donna, with those words, um, thank you very much for your input. Uh, stay safe. Thank you. You too, Vlad. It's nice talking with you. <laughs> 